Welcome back to the Coe's Sports Show. I'm your host, Colin Watkins. There's a lot going on here today in the sports world, so let's get right to it here. To start things off, let's go to the NFL, which, as you guys know, is pretty much my favorite favorite venue of professional sports. But this week, I was left disappointed in several different aspects, and a lot of this is on you, Roger Goodell. And so I'm going to call out your number because these issues need to be fixed. So let's start here. Sunday night football this past week between the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. This, these guys are in the same division. They have a rivalry going on. It's everything we've anticipated for a great matchup. I mean, it's Sunday night football, of course. You've got the best in my opinion, broadcasting team and production crew in all of football. And so everything is leading up to a great game. However, it was not a great game because of a couple of things. First of all, there was no offense. Now, I can appreciate a defensive game, but it was 3 nothing going into the fourth quarter. And it wasn't until the Seahawks blocked a punt, and got incredible field position until they were actually able to tie the game with a short field goal. They couldn't even get it in the end zone with incredible field position. And props to the player that blocked that, a rookie on the special teams. Yeah, he was way overmatched, the blocker on Arizona's punting unit, which... Don't tell me how, you, how a tiny little guy gets in there to block. But regardless, they tie the game up, so it goes to overtime 3-3. Three to three. So overtime, Arizona wins the toss. And I'm getting to my point, folks. I'm getting there. They drive down the field, and they kick a field goal. So they're up 6-3. They're up six to three. Wow, this is really crushing it with offense, right? Now, it's been, it's been an exciting game if you can appreciate defense because there have been a lot of good defensive plays up to this point. And Arizona actually had a lot of offense, nearly three times as much offense as the Seahawks. But they just couldn't punch it in the end zone or even get a field goal. Every, every drive sputtered out right at the end, whereas the, the Seahawks, they're like three and out almost all night long. So then the Seahawks, though, they get a chance to tie because with the new overtime rules, unless it's a safety or a touchdown on the first possession, the other team gets a chance to tie. So they have the best drive of the game and go down and kick a field goal. Couldn't get it in the end zone, but they did get a field goal to tie. So it's 6-6 in overtime, and we're approaching midnight. We've hit midnight now. Overtime continues to roll on, and the clock goes, and the teams exchange punts. Can't get it in. And now, finally, Arizona gets the ball back, gets it in to first and goal. And they hand the ball off to David Johnson. He runs around the left end. And as he's getting pushed out of bounds, he extends the ball forward, knocks down the pylon at the goal line with his foot. But they said he was out of bounds. And surprisingly, this play wasn't reviewed because from the angle that I saw, the ball did get across the plane of the goal line. 
The only question was whether it actually was in bounds at that moment. And we didn't get the straight-on looking-back sideline view that we normally do, so I couldn't determine whether that was the missed call or not. But it was very close, and I was surprised not to see it. Well, the, the Cardinals elect to keep going for it for the touchdown, and they can't get it in. So they end up getting penalized on a false start on the field goal attempt. So it's five yards back, so it's like an 18-yard field goal. I mean, this is a chip shot. And the kicker misses it. Yeah, Bobby Wagner for the Falcon for the <laughs> I keep thinking Falcons, the Seahawks, the other bird team, right? Aside from the Cardinals. The other bird team, the Seahawks, Bobby Wagner, jumps over the line. There's contact there because the guy just to the left of the center reaches up his arm, the left guard, and makes contact with Wagner. So he kind of falls over the line, but he never touches the center. But there's no penalty flag. However, maybe that got in the mind of the kicker because he missed an 18-yard field goal off the left upright. Are you kidding me? So there's no penalty. Collinsworth explains the rule quite well, I might add, where it has to be contact with the center if you're jumping over the line of scrimmage. And it has to be initiated by the defender. Otherwise, it's not a penalty. It doesn't really make sense. I think you need to fix that, Roger Goodell. Otherwise, everybody is going to be jumping over that line of scrimmage. They blocked one. The same guy blocked one earlier in the game doing the exact same thing, only that time he didn't touch anyone. Great play. So, back to the game. The Seahawks get the ball. They got drive all the way down the field. They line up for like a 30-yard field goal to win the game in overtime. There's under a minute left of overtime. This game has gone on way too long with way too little offense. And Hushka misses the field goal. Wide left. So it all about boils down to this, folks, as Arizona ran a couple more plays, weren't able to get very far. 6-6 six, six tie. A 6-6 six to six tie in the NFL on Sunday night football. How? This should not be allowed to happen. Donovan McNabb was in a tie several years ago with the Eagles and the, I believe it was the, the Browns. He didn't even know a tie was possible until it happened. He was so shocked. Because in college, you just keep playing overtime after overtime until somebody wins. And in baseball, which we're going to get to later, you just keep playing until you've got a leader after an inning. Games have lasted 20-plus innings. So you can't say, oh, guys are going to get tired. They are going to get tired, but this is professional football we got to find a way to have a winner because a tie leaves everyone unsatisfied. Who's happy with a tie? No one. As a fan, as a player, as a coach, nobody's happy with a tie. Roger Goodell, you got to fix this. The NFL has been along too long. It's been around too long for us to be able to settle for ties. 
get this fixed. All right, that's point number one. Now, buckle up because this is kind of a rant on the NFL segment today. Number two, Thursday night football. And they're a great idea they came up with, I believe it was last year, of uh, the color rush. Yeah, we remember when the Bills played the Jets last year on the color rush. Because anyone that was colorblind saw the exact same thing on their TVs. Now, that's obviously an exception. But those jerseys were sick. And they're too much. The idea of a color rush is interesting. And it's a great way to promote new apparel and bring in an interesting look. You know, it's a new idea. I don't discredit them for that. But the jerseys they come up with for these games are hideous. I mean, really. If you take a look at the Jacksonville Jaguars jerseys from last night, and you come up with anything but negative things to say about them, I will be shocked. Because they're disgusting. And I am completely sincere when I say that. They played the exact same ones last year in the colorist against the Tennessee Titans in their powder blue jerseys. Which, the blue I like, but it's too much. Which is what I've said for just about every color rush game. It's too much color. And if you're playing that color of blue, you need to be on a dark green field. I'm just saying, it doesn't go with a light turf. But when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, folks who didn't see the game, it's this gross... The Jaguars' colors are black and kind of a gold, kind of a tan gold brown gold with some green in there some lighter green shades it's actually more of a oh what's the word i'm looking for it's kind of an aqua green well the gold which is what was their color in the color rush last night is gross now this sounds This sounds petty, I know. It's a gross brown gold. But for real, on Thursday night football, is this seriously the best that we could come up with? Because they played the exact same game last year, and there was a big reaction, yours truly included in that, and yet they came back with the exact same jerseys this year. Unbelievable. That game was literally, literally gross to watch. Terrible. Not only did the Titans crush them, and the Jaguars didn't get any offense until the second half, but the colors screamed out at you, lashing and clashing with everything that's right in the world. Somebody has to get that fixed. Because that was a colossal mistake. It was a disaster. In my mind. In my eyes. Which are burning since I saw those jerseys. All right. 
Okay. I'll step off that little pedestal. Had to get that out there. Somebody's got to get that fixed. Uh, One more point, though, from the game is this rule that has to be changed. Because at the end of the first half, which is when I tuned out, just like pretty much everyone else that gives a care about football, that game was over. There was a penalty that came up. Well, actually, it wasn't a penalty. It was a uh, it was a call on the field that got reversed. See, Marcus Mariota, the quarterback for the Titans, was running forward with the ball and decided he was going to, at the last second, pitch it forward to his running back, Derrick Henry. Now, the rule is, if a quarterback, it's an illegal pass when the quarterback is entirely past the line of scrimmage. Right? you got to have somewhere he can't throw it when he gets past. Well, first of all, the rule needs to be changed because his entire body has to be across for it to be illegal. You would think, like, one foot would be enough. Yeah, his arm could swing over the line. Who cares? But if you step over, right? No. Your whole entire body has to be past the line, past an invisible wall line that extends however tall the guy is. That is retarded, first of all. But second of all, they blew the call because he was well behind the line, even before he threw the ball. Like, he was completely done with the throwing motion before he even touched the line of scrimmage, that wall, if you will. So they missed the call, but then they review it from the booth because it's under two minutes left in the half. You can't challenge. All reviews are handled upstairs. Well, after review, they realize that they blew the call, and they change it. So they go, okay, now instead of whatever it was, third down and four, it's going to be first down and ten because Henry caught the legal pass and got the first down. Now, as soon as he explained that, he said, Tennessee has elected to call a timeout to avoid a ten-second runoff because... The review changed the outcome of the play. What? So you're telling me that because you, Mr. Referee, missed a call on the field and had to change it, one of the teams is going to lose 10 seconds. This could benefit the defense because now the offense has no time, or it could benefit the offense if they're trying to run out the clock. That is the worst rule, one of the worst rules I've ever heard. It's a random, completely unreasonable runoff of time. Simply because the outcome was changed. You explain that one to me. Good luck. (laughs) All right. Okay, folks. Let's take a little break. From ranting about the NFL and Roger Goodell. And let's swing things over to the MLB. Major League Baseball. And believe me, I want to keep talking about the NFL. The Colts finally getting a win. Even after doing the same thing over and over and over. Which is the definition of foolishness, I might add. Doing something over and over repeatedly and expecting different results. Well, the Colts got lucky. They got a win. But... I am going to spare you and move on from the football topic. 
because I think you've heard enough of ranting today. So let's go. Major League Baseball. It's not my sport. You know that. I already mentioned today. Oh, one more thing, though. I have to mention this. Is Adam Vinatieri. Broke the record for most consecutive field goals made in a row. He's hit 43 now. At 43 years old. He's made 78 of his last 81 kicks. That's 96.3%. Dating back to 2013, the guy is unbelievable. Okay, now, I promise, we're done with football. The Cubs are in the World Series. Are you kidding me? It's been 71 years since the Cubs even made it to the World Series. That is (laughs) an incredible number. It's been 108 years, over a century, since the Cubs won the World Series. Wow. Now, I was rooting for them to win last year because that was the year that Back to the Future predicted they win. When they went to the future, in Back to the Future, and the Cubs won the World Series, the year was 2015. So it would have been... Awesome, if that quote-unquote prediction came true. However, it looks like they might just be one year off. Now, I know the Cubs, they're not really my, my favorite team. The Yankees are. And you're like, you live in Indianapolis, you're a Yankees fan. How did that happen? Well, nine-year-old me decided when the Yankees were in the World Series, actually, I think it was eight years old, that I wanted to root for them over the Atlanta Braves. And my, my family liked the Yankees. A, a couple of my family members were rooting for the Yankees. And I saw Derek Jeter play. Whew, and that jump, spin, throw to first base. Wow. That was impressive. And the Yankees won. And thus they became my team. Because if you live in Indianapolis, you can choose any team you want. When you start following baseball, you got to pick. And you can choose any team you want because we don't have a professional team. You could go Cincinnati. You could go Chicago. Either team in Chicago. You could go Detroit. You could go St. Louis. Those are all nearby teams. But you don't have to because you have the bye. Now, when you grow up in a city with a team, they are your team. And you must be loyal to that team. However, I'm the exception, as many of you are, some of you are, that don't have hometown baseball teams. So I became a Yankees fan. Side note, guess who supplied this year's World Series relievers? Yes, the Yankees. They traded away flame-throwing Eraldis Chapman. He struck out a guy in Game 2 with a 103-miles-per-hour ball. Wow. And they also traded the ALCS MVP, Andrew Miller, the giant, a late-game reliever to the Indians. Each guy has already played a pivotal role in the World Series. Yankees had both of them. But they are hoping to build a team for the future, as obviously it wasn't coming together this year. But back to the topic at hand, the Cubs. They finally made it back to the World Series. And that in itself is impressive. It's quite an accomplishment to get past the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw, who shut them out in game one, but they found a way to beat him. 
the next time they played. They were down 2-1 in the series, and I was not anticipating them to come back and win. That was something they showed resilience and determination in that series. And that's something that previous Cubs teams haven't had. Like the Cubs team that played the Giants a few years ago. Up two games to none. And folded. Actually, I think that was the Cincinnati Reds. I'm mixing up some years here. Regardless, the Cubs have not been able to get it done. Even with series leads in the last few years, they can't advance to the World Series. Every time it's, this is the year the Cubs are going to win. Oh, it's the odd year. This is, the, this is the year. Oh, the Cubs got the best pitching this year. This is the Cubs year. Well, it hasn't happened, folks. It hasn't happened since 1945 that they made the series. And it hasn't happened since 1908 since they won the World Series. Yes, many of your grandparents weren't even born. Your great-grandparents might have been born, depending on where you fall in the generations. That is a quite a large span of time. 108 years. So the Cubs, they made it back. This team, though, is different than any of those teams I just mentioned. Because, first of all, they have a lot of youth on this team. And these guys aren't afraid of the history that Chicago has had. Choking leads, basically. Falling short of expectations. These guys come to play every night. And they're humble guys, too. You listen to the post-game interviews. I love this about this team. And these guys are grateful to be in the position they are. They're having fun. They're not pointing the spotlight on themselves, but the team. And that is noteworthy. But on top of that, they've got some veteran guys that have been there before. Prime example, John Lester with the Boston Red Sox. And David Ross, the catcher, who has been around. And he is more of a role player on this team than anyone, I think. Because he doesn't have all the numbers, but he finds ways to get on base. And he catches great games for the pitchers. Settles down the pitchers when they're in a rut. And he's a great presence in that dugout. These guys just might have what it takes to break the curse. I'm talking about the curse of the billy goat. Yeah. The curse of the billy goat. Because they haven't won a World Series since before that happened. When the guy brought the billy goat into the stadium and they kicked him out because it was an animal <laughs> and he said the Cubs will never win another World Series. And they haven't since then. That's the short version. So they're, they're going against the odds. No one expects them to win because they always fall short. There's always next year, right? That's the... Uh, consolation phrase that everyone uses when the Cubs lose. There's always next year. Well, not this time. This is the year, and these Cubs players and manager and fans are saying it. 
they are going to do it this year. And I think they just might be right. They, this is a fun team to root for. And my last point here, before I close, builds on that. And it's centered around one Kyle Schwarber. Everybody loves a comeback story. I've talked about Peyton Manning and Adrian Peterson and multiple other sports players who have come back from injuries that you just thought they would never be the same. Well, Kyle Schwarber had one of those. Who's Kyle Schwarber? He's, he grew up in Ohio, went to college at IU, Indiana University, played baseball there, and turned some heads. This guy is an athlete. He got drafted by the Cubs in 2014 with the fourth overall pick. Then had a pretty good rookie season with them. Showing signs of great potential. They think he can be something incredible. Someone incredible. But that was before he got injured this season. Just after two games. Yeah, the, the season is 162 games long. He got injured after just two. And tore his ACL. Ouch. Football players in particular have trouble returning to form after tearing their ACL. They run so much. Baseball players, you never know. This guy has sat out all season and worked his butt off to get back. And now he has done just that. The Cubs had multiple opportunities to trade him. But Theo Epstein decided that they were going to keep Schwarber. He said it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be right to trade Schwarber. So they decided to hang on to him, even though they had some flaws. They had some needs, especially in the reliever position. But they hung on to Schwarber. And now, after one game in this fall league, they fly him in for the World Series. And he's playing in the World Series. And he's making his presence known. Game one, he got the best hit off the Indians' ace, Corey Kluber. It was like two feet from being a home run. It hit the wall. It was a double. Bounced back in. And game two, in which the Cubs won, he was instrumental. Two for four with a walk and two huge RBIs. Cubs were up 1-0 when he got his first RBI. This guy is so fun to watch. It's a great story. He's not even back to full strength yet, but he's delivering. He played DH in the first two games in Cleveland. But now the doctors say that he is not cleared to play in the outfield. So he's going to be a pinch hitter in the next three games. Which, as you can imagine, could be huge situations for him to come in and potentially continue to shock the world and maybe propel the Cubs to a World Series win. How amazing would that be? This guy misses virtually the entire season, comes back for the World Series. The Cubs have the confidence to play him, and he delivers. I love it. It's a comeback story. It's a surprise. A guy who went to my hometown school and is now an inspiration to the rest of his team. Thank you, Kyle Schwarber, for this. I truly have an investment in this Cubs team, who aren't my home team, but I am rooting 
part and so forth. So good luck to the Chicago Cubs. And that'll wrap it up for Coast Sports Show today. Have a great week.